This evening we're, we're journeying to Athens. I'm not sure if any of you have been there on your holiday, but really the, the sights to see are lion ruins, really, and maybe you can get that from the, the picture. There's the Parthian there in, in the top, and that really was in its in all of its splendor, as Paul walks around the city of Athens, is a city that's known for people going there to talk about ideas, and we get that sense even as Paul starts, or sorry, just before Paul starts in verse 21, they, they love hearing about new things. It's a city of Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, and there are lots of ideas went through, but the city of Athens is no longer the top city in that area, in Greece, Corinth, has overtaken it, but it still has many of the splendors and the sights. In Athens, one of the seven wonders, ancient wonders of the world, was there the statue of Zeus, which gets destroyed by nearly at the end of the fourth century. And as Paul walks around this city, as he's walked around every city, this city seems to be a bit different for Paul, because he seems to not go in there for a holiday or a rest. But on these other cities where Paul enters, he immediately goes to preach, doesn't he? But this time he's waiting. He's waiting for, for, for Silas and maybe even for Timothy to come along and to join with him. For in chapters 15 to 17, that Paul and, and Barnabas, they've went back. They've reported to the church, do you remember, in Antioch. And then they've gone to Jerusalem. And they've come up with a, a decision that Jew and Gentile are, are equal in a sense in Christ Jesus. And then Paul and Barnabas fall out. Barnabas takes his cousin Mark. He went with them to Cyprus in the very first trip, if you remember. But it wasn't for, for Mark just then. But Barnabas decides he wants Mark, but Paul wants to take Silas. And, and they split off and really they're, they're doing double the work, aren't they? They're going in two different directions, being able to spread the good news of Jesus. And Paul and Silas, they go to places like Lister and Derby again. Then Paul has his dream of the Macedonian crying out, if you remember. And he goes to, to Philippi and Thessalonica and Berra. And it's in Berra where they have to escape, isn't it? The people were um, examining the scriptures daily. They had a hunger for God's words. But then people from Thessalonica came. And they, they had, the people there who were listening to Paul sent Paul away immediately to the sea and to get out of there. Such was the danger in Paul's life, evidently, and, and Silas and Timothy were to come and follow soon afterwards. But as Paul walks about, maybe not with his camera around his neck, but as he walks around with other tourists and people talking about ideas and wanting to see what goes on in Athens, as Paul wanders the streets and looks around, he's really uncomfortable with the culture. Isn't he? That's the first thing, uncomfortable with the culture. Verse 16, Paul is walking around and he's provoked. What he sees affects his heart. It's, it's, a, it's an irritation. It's, it's to be angry. It's not quite the same, but it's similar whenever Jesus goes to the temple, isn't it? And he sees the moneylenders and the exchangers. As they've made the house a prayer den of robbers. And he, is, he has a very angry emotion. Because of his holiness. And it gives a proper response. And here, Paul, it's, it's not quite the same, but he's irritated. And when he looks around, it upsets him. It provokes him. I've once been to Sin City. You know what that is? Vegas. Very uncomfortable place to be. This is what Paul feels, I think, in Athens as well. Paul's uncomfortable as he walks around. The people on every hill have their different gods and 
whether it be Zeus or, or Artemis or whoever it might be, and the people are walking up all these different idols for sale that you can get. And he doesn't marvel, Paul, at these magnificent structures built by man. You go to Athens, there's thousands of photographs taken every day of these buildings. And Paul isn't admiring the handiwork and the, the craft of them. But he's annoyed. He is irritated because he looks at these temples, but with a Christian eyes on, as we look at these things with a Christian lens, his outlook is very different to those around him. He's upset, he's annoyed, he is irritated. He looks at the culture, he looks at the world around him with a Christian perspective. And as Christians, we are to have a different outlook in life as well, don't we? We have to have different lenses as we view the world. You know, whether it be our, how we are in our homes or our marriages or, or, the, or, or how we deal with the poor. And that's a very different attitude, isn't it? Maybe than the world might have or how we deal with sports. That is not the be end and end all. How we love music or how we look at creation. We look at it with very different eyes in this world or we ought to. And here Paul, as he engages with the people in Athens, as he's uncomfortable, Luke highlights for us these two different worldviews in verse 18, the Epicureans and, and the Stoics. The first one, the Epicureans, they think that life is just chance, and as we but like, you only live once, you have to get the most pleasure out of life as you can. The Stoics, well, they think you can't control the good or the bad, so you have to make the best of it, and you have to grin and bear the hard stuff. But what Paul feels and sees from these people, he's really uncomfortable with the culture. And he acts on it, doesn't he? His spirit was provoked within him that he saw the city was full of idols, so he reasoned with everybody, the synagogue and the marketplace. So as we walk through our lives, as we look at the world around us and the culture, maybe it's the beautiful buildings, I don't know, and we drive through the streets of Clark or the village of Seaford, what are we seeing? Or what are we not seeing that ought to make us uncomfortable? Whether it be in our shopping or the media, how do we feel about the culture in which we are placed in at the moment? We're uncomfortable with the headlines, aren't we? Whether it be marriage, abortion, the RSE, LGBT, or or something else, or sectarianism. We, we, we we're comfortable with those things. It's like going on a safari and wanting to see the big five, isn't it? They're like the big five. We'll say, well, everybody knows about those. But if we have our Christian eyes on looking at our world, there's more than that going on, isn't there? That ought to make us really uncomfortable. Look around the villages. It's full of idols, isn't it? People living a life of pleasures. Others just grinning and burning it and just making their way through, relying on themselves, both with no notion at all about God. And we don't even need to look in the villages, do we? But our own hearts. Calvin calls our hearts idol factories, doesn't he? And what's in our heart ought to make us uncomfortable as well. Here in Athens, as Paul walks about, there might be Aphrodite and Athena, Apollo, Danius and Hermes. And it's, it's, not, it's what Paul sees around him and it makes him uncomfortable. And we don't have these statues or these gods around us dotted up in different temples. But we do in our hearts. Love and beauty. The pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. The music, the pleasure, the travel. That's what all those gods are. 
and they haven't changed today, have they? All much the same. Make the most of life that we can, grin and bird, or have as much pleasure as you can. So you look at the world, not just the big five we ought to be uncomfortable with, is it? But all these things, never mind what's in our own hearts. We ought to have a, a spirit within us that is provoked to want to do something about it. Paul is uncomfortable and he wants to explain why he's uncomfortable. So that's why he goes into the streets. That's why he goes into the synagogues explaining. And as he explains, I think we can identify with Paul here a little bit. How do they describe in verse 18 a babbler? Somebody talking nonsense. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes as we talk to maybe friends or family about the Lord and the good news of Jesus? You can almost sense them thinking, you're just talking nonsense. Maybe it's just whenever I talk it. Here in Athens, they had the great orators of the day who loved to talk, who loved to explain. And Paul, they think, is talking nonsense, but they still want to hear more. And Paul, as he explains to them, is able to connect with the culture. And that's our second thing, connecting with the culture. Paul explains here that the, the reason they think he's bobbling on about nonsense is because he's talking about Jesus' death and resurrection. A dead man come to life. And that is a miracle. It's just only God can do it. And that is why they do not understand. And they say in verse 19, well, we want to hear more about this. We want to hear more about this new story. And now, we know this story, don't we? we? All of us have grown up with it. I'm nearly certain here this morning or this evening. We, we've grown up knowing the good news of Jesus. We sing from time to time, don't we? Tell, us, tell me the old, old story. But here for the people in Athens and for many people around us, it's a new, new story, isn't it? Where they don't understand and it's new to them. And Paul has given this opportunity in verses 21 and 22 to stand before the men of Athens, like the, 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 the parliament of its time, perhaps, where the, they made decisions and talked about things, where people had an opportunity to explain their, their new thought or their new idea, and they would discuss it. Well, here Paul stands amongst this elite group, and he's able to explain the gospel with them. He has an opportunity. He, has a, he stands in the public arena with people listening to him. Now, very few Christians have that opportunity today in the, the public arena for people to listen to them. But there are spheres of influences in each of our lives where we have opportunities as people listen to us to, to connect with them and to connect with the culture. Everywhere, everyone we interact with, it's in the, within our homes, our, our workplaces, our, our church and our, our work, or as we go to the coffee shop and the butchers, we have opportunities to connect with these people. And as Paul connects and has this opportunity, he bridges the gap for them. Verses 22 and 23. It's the start of Paul's address and he's bridging the gap for them. This is a huge leap. To go from all these different kinds of gods to say, well, Jesus, he died, he rose again, and he's the one true God. It's a lot for them to take in. And Paul, for help, to help them bring him, them along with him, he, he recognizes who they are, doesn't he? He says, you are a religious people. You know, he recognizes their character. He tells them what he sees around them. And he uses their world and their character to connect with them and to reach them for Jesus. In order to introduce them to the one true God. He says, 
No, there's idols about here. One's even got an inscription to the unknown God. Well, let me tell you about the known God. He, what he sees and then he's reacting and linking it to, to, to God and to Jesus. And that's one of the things as a church we need to be doing, isn't it? In so many ways to be bridging the gap for people. That Paul is not just going to talk about you know, King David here to these people. He's not going to talk about Adam and Eve and this way he might get there. He's not, he's not going to talk about the kings of Israel. Because that's alien, like proper alien to these people. He wants to make connections with them and bring them to Jesus. Something we need to, to do and do better, isn't it? And what we do in church has to communicate Jesus to the, the people around us that they can understand. From what is said to how and what is sung. We need to be able to connect to these people. That people aren't coming in and thinking this is back in the 1700s. Although I would prefer that kind of worship probably. We need to be able to connect with these people, don't we? So we can use the idols of the day, today, and say, well, what about God? You know, the idols of children. Children are a blessing from the Lord. You should thank him for them. You need to raise them right. Well, how do you raise them right? Everyone would agree with that statement. and say, well, actually, God has a way to do this properly. We need to, oh, I'd love a long time of a rest. And they say, well, yes, physical refreshment is good. But what about your spiritual renewal? And that mindfulness of, well, here's, here's Christ to renew your spirit. Wanting more things, we can say, well, we can have a contentment because of the riches there are in the Lord. Our health, yes, it's important. We're going to have new bodies one day with the Lord Jesus. We have a, a strong union or a strong national identity. Kingdoms rise and fall, but one kingdom won't. Because Paul says that in the middle of his sermon, verse 26. There's a lot of periods for the nations. Nation, borders move. Kingdoms change. Paul's seeking to just bridge the gap for them. Speaking in ways that they are able to, to grasp something that they already know. And Paul's pointing them to something better. So how can we do that in the conversations that we have with people? How can we make the connections for them and bring them along to Jesus? It's Paul, he's connecting with the culture. And then third, it rolls in a little bit. He's communicating with the culture. He is talking to them. <laughs> Really simply, we know where we started this sermon, but he's talking to them. And sometimes we're afraid what to say or who to say or maybe how to say it. We're afraid of offending people. But here Paul, he's going in for it. And maybe it's a pattern that we can use as well. We, we take maybe what the world says. And then Paul's thing is that he tells them who God is. Really simple, isn't it? He tells them who God is. So let's see verse... 24, it's where this, this begins, or explaining who God is. This, I'm going to proclaim to you the, the, the known God. and He's the God who made everything in it. He is the creator. As the people now marvel at the buildings, I'm sure they did too, but they're only made by a man. They are to, the buildings lift their eyes up to the heavens because they're so great and tall. But Paul's going to say, well, look at this whole world. God created it. We ought to lift our eyes to him. Paul even goes on. He says, yes, not all people have the scriptures. Only the Jews have the scriptures. But the whole world around us testifies that there is a God. That there is a design 
to it that no one can claim utter ignorance to God. He says he's the creator and then he's the sustainer. Verse 25, he is not served by human hands. Um, He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. It's God's. Everything that we have is his. He, he, He brings it about. God keeps the world, not the other way around. And there's another message for today as well. We don't, hey, God holds all things together. And that's why we read from Colossians 1 to begin with. And you've all done a shop maybe and had bags in the passenger seat. And you try and grab them all in one go. And your bits fall out and it all just doesn't always work all of the time. Well, God holds everything in his hands all of the time. He, he's able to keep it going and sustain it all. And then he's the ordainer. Um, so the end of verse 26, he determines the periods of our time. He keeps and guides this world. He guides the affairs of men and of nations. We do not know the future. We don't know God's plan. But ultimately, it is for good. And for his good and for his glory. And he ordains all of the days. And that's who God is. For these people listening in Athens, they have all these different gods who are involved in different things. One might create it, one looks after the weather, one looks after the soil, one looks after your love life, one looks after your travels. And Paul's bringing it all together for them and says, no, this God, he does it all. Creates, sustains and ordains absolutely everything. And this is what you should do. That's where Paul goes next. He explains who God is and what we should do. If God is the creator, sustainer, ordainer, our response as creatures, what is it? It's verse 27, that they should seek God. Not Athena or Zeus, all these other gods that they worship. But what what we should do is tell people that they need to seek God. Paul says to, to reach out for that, that phrase apparently is quite unusual. It's taken from one of, uh, one of the, the Greek stories where one of the, the gods, Cyclops, was reaching out in the dark to, to reach for Odeus. And it's taken that same phrase saying, all we need to do, you might be in the dark, you mightn't fully understand, but if you reach out to God, you might feel him and, and find him. You need to seek for God. He's almost saying to them, you, you know, you're blinded in your sin. But if you, if you reach out, if you, if you look, even though you cannot see him, you will be able to find him. He says that you need to seek them and then obviously repent. He calls them to repentance, doesn't he, at the end of verse 30. Paul, do you notice in this short little talk that we're given here, he doesn't list their sin, really. Sure, he doesn't. He talks about the idols at the start. He explain who, explains who God is. He lifts their eyes up to God and tells them, forget about everything else. Turn and follow this God. They'll have to figure out all those little bits later, won't they? And we see that in Paul's letters to the churches. Paul says, you need need to turn. Why? Why do we need to do it now? Well, in many different ways. Paul says here to them, you need to turn. God has been so patient with you. God's been patient with us all, hasn't he? Because we, maybe for some of us, have kept God at arm's length for a little while. We know what we need to do, but think, well, God, 
be patient a little bit more. He gave me another chance. God is patient. He calls us again to repentance, doesn't he? To, to follow him. He commands it as well. God just says that we need to repent. And because he's the creator, sustainer, or dinner, because he's in charge of all things, well, surely we ought to listen to him and to repent, to trust him. And then the last one is that there's going to be a final judgment day. Verse 31, he has fixed a day in which Jesus will judge the world. How do we know that day is fixed? How do we know that day will come? Because Jesus is risen from the grave. So Paul says, because we have this assurance that this is going to happen because he raised him from the dead. He says, that's why you need to repent. A day is coming where you will stand before him and see him face to face, as we thought about this morning. God is patient, he commands it. There's a final judgment day coming. And Paul calls the people that they need to, to trust in this Jesus. But as Paul concludes his sermon here, just like all the other different places that he went to, the people are left with a choice. Four things, a choice for the culture. Verse 32 and 33. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, we want to hear a little bit more. And others believed. See, it is are the case for us, isn't it? We are engaging with our community. We have to set Jesus out before them, but ultimately it all comes down to them. The choice that they make. We pray that God, by God's Spirit, they would accept him, but some will reject. Just as we've seen in every single city, we not, might not be dragged out to the clock round about there and stoned and egged on the way past. But people will reject us, but they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting Jesus. Others want to hear more. And they come back and, and they're hungry. Uh, and they're, maybe it's hard for them to, to follow and to understand. And they want to hear more. And, and that's good. I mean, we encourage that. Yet others, what do they do? They accept. Verse 34. Some men joined him and believed. And it's our prison as we seek to engage with the culture and the community. That people would join us not really us, join Jesus. As the people follow Paul and his walk, as he will explain this, the, the, the Christian way, as he will disciple them, as we've seen in other parts and in other cities, that they become more and more familiar with the scriptures, that they would follow Jesus all the days of their life so that they too would be able to communicate clearly the good news of Jesus. For all of us this evening, it's old hat, isn't it? Jesus died, rose again for us, ascending to heaven, and one day we'll be with him. It's an old, old story for us. But it's a new, new story for other people. So as we look around, yes, there are times where we feel really uncomfortable with the culture, but we shouldn't be afraid to, to confront it and connect with it. But the ultimate purpose is saying to people, look, this, the children, yeah, they're really important. You need to bring them up well. Well, Jesus knows how to do that. You're going through really terrible time and suffering. Well, Jesus offers peace that surpasses all understanding. Whatever it might be, we can bring people along to who God is so that we can tell them very clearly what they ought to do as they follow Jesus. Let me pray.